This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Hi, I'm John Champion, co-host of Mission Log. While Daniel and Paul are doing a bang-up job covering the wide world of pop culture, we're talking Star Trek, one episode at a time, over at Mission Log, looking for morals, meanings, and messages. In fact, there are a whole lot of other shows at podcast.roddenberry.com for you to choose from science, feminism, even daily news, and all stops in between. Boldly go and find us. When you're done here, of course. Again, that address is podcast.roddenberry.com, and we will be delighted to have you trek us out. Order and welcome to episode 69 of the Half Missions Podcast. That's right, folks. 69, meal for two, a favorite of mine. A couple of bingo references there for you, Paul. You know, you're all about the bingo. I'm all about the bingo. <laughs> How are you, mate? I'm really good. I was when I heard your energy coming in, I thought, oh, here we go. He's been watching the football as well. You know, mate, I'm all about that football. Get up, get Don't up over are. there, get it in the goal. That's what, what they, that's what the commentators say. Get up over there, get it in the goal. That is exactly what they say. Beautiful. Hit her into the goal. Oh, stop. Or a, a Hollywood, and I've, I've hurt my knee. I don't know. Look, I don't, I don't know sports, Paul. It's just, it just hasn't resonated with me. Well, I did promise we'd talk about it for four weeks, but I will, I will refrain. However, if England should get to the final, I may bring it up again then. But till then, I will do my best to be quiet about it. Dan, what have you been watching this week, please? Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm the host of this episode, Paul. <laughs> what do you think you're doing? You know, you can't just be, you know, picking up the mic and running with it. What have you been watching this week? Oh, okay. Well, I've got two <laughs> movies to talk to you about this week. Um, and and firstly, uh, I have the 2016 film Infinity Chamber. So a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned about how we had a recommendation in our Discord uh, for a movie called Infinity Chamber, and it wasn't available over here, but the writer-director, uh, Travis Malloy, very kindly gave us access to the film to watch. And so after a couple of busy weeks, this week, I watched it. And I have to say, this is a really, really enjoyable movie. It is 100% up my alley, as as was predicted in Discord. The... Um, the brief synopsis is about this guy called Frank, who's like, he's in a he's innocently in a coffee shop, and suddenly he's got a couple of guys firing these red light weapons at his back. And when he wakes up, he's trapped in this automated prison where he then basically has to try and outsmart uh, an artificial intelligence computer to to escape. So that's the plot. It's um, it's it's a movie that I would dare say not many people have heard of, but I am recommending this right off the bat, Dan. Do you think it's at my alley pool, or have I got the required skills for for watching such a such a thing? I think so. You know, when we talk about the things that we like, you know, all those ingredients, the confined space, always being one. If you think about that movie, the platform, um, 
movies like Cube. Um, but there's, there's a little bit more thought behind this one, I think. There's a little bit more... Um, I was going to say to you, um, just when I was looking at the IMDb page for this one, it reminds me a little bit of the platform just straight out the gate. Mm. Yeah, it, yeah, a little bit, right? And it's, um, you know, it's got, what have we got here? It's a 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb from over 9,000 votes. And I, I'm i going to go a little higher than that myself. Um, I, I really, you know, that whole man versus machine thing is good and and for the machine you're sort of thinking how you know from a, a, a what's it called um a space odyssey a space odyssey yeah, yeah yeah but maybe with a bit of sarcasm and a little bit of quantum leap um you've got a real good leading actor and supporting actress uh you know christopher seren kelly and cassandra clark will not be household names but they both they just work really well together in this um Christopher Seren Kelly in particular he he's a, when he's alone in his cell which is obviously much of the movie without too many spoilers here, it's just it's just really good how he works with the AI um and yeah i just you know i've always enjoyed uh, independent movies or the slightly smaller movies this one here i did a bit of researching and Travis Malloy himself built like the prison cell set himself using whatever he could find all of the shots in the, this guy's Frank's apartment or the hospital, they're all shot in Travis's own house. And then, but from a pr- production perspective, it all just looks really great. So, so kudos to him for that. And, you know, I mean, as much as I've talked about the cast and the production and all that, but what really gets me across the line with this one and what makes this a great watch is it's just well written. There's just, it's, it's a movie where I don't fully understand everything that has gone on. And I think that's part of the intent. It's so it's meant to be open to an interpretation. And it's one of those movies that you'll talk to people about, you know, what's their theory. And I love it when it's not so clear cut, when it's not quite so black and white. That's awesome. Uh, you've definitely piqued my interest. Um, it's uh, so obviously a little bit harder to watch here in New Zealand, but I understand it's on is it Amazon Prime in the States. That's right. That was how we heard about it. Yeah, because we had the Amazon Prime link posted in our Discord, but then when we tried to watch it here, it wasn't there. So, um, so yeah, so if you're an international listener uh, and it's on, I fully recommend it. Um, I give this one... Out of so we have our four guns akimbo scale. I give this three out of four, which is the highest I've ever given an independent film since uh, Astronaut, The Last Push. I think that was the last one I, I did there. But yeah, so thank you again to Travis Malloy for providing the opportunity to watch it. And I am definitely going to go looking to see if any of his other stuff's available here in New Zealand as well. Awesome. My so I've got two things this week. Yeah, the second thing. This one's a little different. The synopsis for this one, Dan. This is a movie. Whilst traveling in continental Europe, a rich young girl realizes that an elderly lady seems to have disappeared from the train, but no one else remembers her or believes that she existed. That's right, Dan. I've gone back in time. I've gone back 83 years, in fact, to 1938's The Lady Vanishes by Alfred Hitchcock. And I'll tell you what, straight away... Writing, directing, produ- production values, all of that. Well, not, maybe not production values. Maybe there's a little bit of racism and sexism, but putting that aside, the writing and directing on this one is 100% good enough for today's standards. It's really good. I didn't know where you were going to go with, <laughs> where 
you were going to go with this wall and I was like, do I need to get my grandma in here to have a bit of a chat to you about this movie and, and what it's all about? But I guess when you're talking about one of the greats, uh, I shouldn't be so disrespectful. So you, you had a good time watching this one? Oh, really? I, it's not my first time either. This actually was um, it was a bit nostalgic for me because when Diana and I were, were dating in the early days, this was... In the, in the early 1930s? <laughs> I think I think it was actually 2004. It was like this was like one of the first DVDs we ever we ever bought together. When I discovered how much because she was she's the big Alfred Hitchcock fan, and I was kind of you know like I was aware of Psycho and Rear Window, but I didn't know much of the other stuff. And I we've watched quite a lot of the uh, his stuff together, and this sort of stuff. It's just a real good mystery. It's just really compelling characters, funny writing, builds up nice and slow. And it's one of those ones that you almost want to do a rewatch because it's about a woman seeming disappearing. You want to do a rewatch to almost pick up on all the things, obviously, before she vanishes to see if you can work out how and why she she disappears. And um, like, uh, you know, this isn't one of the, the big ones he made, but I would say this is easily in my top 10 Hitchcock movies, possibly top five, which is a big call when you think about some of his his movies. I think a lot of the, the classics came out a bit later than this one. But um if you look on IMDb, Dan, 109 critic reviews. This has a Metacritic, Metacritic score of 98, which is just incredible for something that's you know 83 years old. I think this is. I think I've only ever reviewed one thing older than this. That was when I did the Flash Gordon 1936 serial. But honestly, these numbers are not wrong. It's never boring. It does keep you interested, and a lot of older movies don't always do that. It's always entertaining. It's great Alfred Hitchcock direction. I recommend it to you, Dan. Three out of four guns akimbo for the lady vanishes. That's oh, uh, it's popping off today. And where did you find this one, Paul? Was it on Amazon Prime? Indeed, it is. Of course, who else is uh, is going to have that? And I was a little disappointed actually because after I watched it, I thought, "Oh, I'm going to watch a few more Hitchcocks," and they haven't got any others on there. So I was, I'm quite surprised why this one is the one that made the cut. But there we go. You don't still have your original DVD of this one? We do indeed. We do indeed. So we could, um, we've got the whole, I think we've got about, f- well, at least 15, maybe 20 Hitchcock movies on DVD. So yeah, we could, you know, we could pull a, pull a few out because there are some absolute classics in there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you've been, you've been busy. Well, we've watched a few things together, as you know, but that's the only things I've got this week other than the, the, the football. So I'll stop there. Awesome. Well, I've watched uh, a couple of things as well this week. Um, So the first thing that I've watched is a new TV show on Netflix called Sweet Tooth. So this just came out on the 4th of June. Uh, and the synopsis of the show is about, it's basically about a boy who is half human and half deer, and he survives in a post-apocalyptic world um, with other hybrids. And the basic sort of premise of the, this, the story, it's only eight episodes long. It's a fairly easy watch, um, based on a graphic novel. Something happens in the world. All of a sudden, hybrid, um, human slash animals start being born. As you would imagine, the, the humans sort of shun them away and, want to do more sort of experiments and stuff on them but basically everyone who starts having babies there's these various hybrids and this story focuses on a particularly young boy um who is half deer his name's gus um it's 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 a you know it was one of those shows which i the whole way through was like is this for me is it is it i'm enjoying it but i'm i'm not loving it but then by the end i i was 
I was quite sort of, it, it was a good little story. It was quite wholesome. Um, it had a few sort of uh, dark moments about it. It was also filmed in New Zealand as well, which is, is cool. Another, you know, Milan last week and now Sweet Tooth this week. It also stars uh, Nonzo uh, Anzoni, uh, which you, who you may remember from Game of Thrones. Uh, it's just, look, if you're looking for something a little bit different, a little bit in that sort of graphic novel sort of genre, dark but not not violent, um, interesting story, beautiful scenery, mostly well done, apart from some weird little um, beaver-type character, probably not a beaver, um, and they've really gone for the... They've really gone for that. We're going to go the Mandalorian route, and we're going to use a real puppet, a real puppet here. And it just, it just doesn't really work a lot of the time. But apart from that, the the effects and stuff are really good. So, if you're looking for something lighthearted, give this a whirl. It's got pretty good ratings on um, IMDb. It's it's sitting at about an eight point one out of ten. Um, I'd probably give it two and a half to three guns on the the guns akimbo scale so yeah hopefully we get a season two i'm keen to see where the where the story's going it's really interesting to sort of see the various types of sort of human hybrids it reminds me of a a cartoon show that i watched when i was a kid which i'm pretty sure was called the wuzzles um and this was about do you remember it paul by any chance no the wuzzles (laughs) the wuzzles and this wasn't about humans and animals but this was about two different animals being uh, merged together and so there was like a lion and a bee there was a, a moose and a seal I remember his name being Moosel that's, just, that's about as far back as I go but it, re- it reminds me a lot of that sort of uh, genre of things quite a bit of fun you've got a, a face which says maybe maybe you do I've just clicked on it and I do my goodness I, I take it all back I do remember this now it's yeah, the Wuzzles unbelievable what year did it come out? 85 Wow, wow. Amazing. Yeah, I, look, I think the reason I remember it is I remember coming to visit my grandparents in Wellington and really hoping that down in the big old smoke of Wellington, I was going to finally find one of these like wuzzle toys that they had. No such go, you know. Like, here I am, wuzzle-list. <laughs> here we are some 30-odd years later looking for Transformers in Wellington and still not always able to find them. The wuzzles, amazing. Indeed. This, Indeed. Um, so... I was going to say, this sweet tooth was uh, actually recommended to me by someone who I work literally sit next to. Um, and so I felt almost compelled because I'm constantly recommending stuff to her, you know, every day. And um, she was really rating it really highly. She says, as you did, it was a real easy watch over, over just eight episodes. So, um, yeah, looks very interesting. And of course, filmed in New Zealand is what probably, if I'm honest, draws me in more than anything. I think what's, um, I think what maybe made me sort of unsure about it is it's obviously sort of focused around these uh, young kids who are the, these hybrids um, sort of navigating this post-apocalyptic world and it's sort of tonally kind of like, that's why I'm, I'm never like, what what are we sort of aiming for here? But I think it, by the end it really grew on me. And I'm as I say, I'm definitely, I really hope they do a season two. I think they've got something really great here. So highly recommended, worth a watch. Awesome. The other thing I have started watching is Loki, which is the new Marvel TV show. So uh, only six episodes of this Marvel TV show. Uh, but the first episode is basically about, um, you know, Loki Paul, one of your your favorite mm. superheroes or 
anti-heroes. Uh, so basically Loki escapes the Avengers only to be captured by the Time Variance Authority and put on trial for, for the crime of being a variant. Um, sorry, I've been a variant from the sacred timeline. So basically the things that he's done in, in his timeline weren't, weren't according to plan and he's basically put on trial for them. And there's a, an agent that kind of sees the potential of Loki and um, basically wants to work with him to um, do some other sort of missions and stuff. It's kind of a, a really interesting episode. Great to see a really... You know, Loki's a pretty big character in the in the MCU universe, and it's really awesome to get to sort of see a bit more about him, have him sort of as a bit of a, a dedicated character with his own show. So, really intrigued to see where this um, show is going to go. Only one episode in. I think the episode's got a pretty good review so far. As I think it's sitting at about an eight point nine on IMDb. So, another no doubt smash hit for the folk over at Disney. But it's a it's a good time. They really know how to make these smash hits, don't they? I um, obviously obviously haven't seen it. Um, what I find interesting, Dan, is <laughs> you're watching some really cutting-edge stuff, and I'd noticed when I was looking at uh, uh, your um, your sweet tooth, it was rating, it was trending as number two most popular worldwide at the moment on IMDb, and number one is Loki. Both of the things I've watched, funnily enough, were not in the top 100. Um, but you're right, Marvel just keep popping out just some of the best stuff and i think i don't know much but i do know that this guy obviously isn't one of the major characters and i love the fact that the spin-offs are about some of those sort of side characters almost i love that you know just kind of like a mandalorian right it's uh it's 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 those sort of things which always draw the real fans in and i love that Totally, and I think this is what makes it really interesting. It also stars Owen Wilson as Mobius, and again, just wow. great to have these. Just kind of have these. Uh, I love that. Uh, great to have these sort of extra, you know, kind of big Hollywood names in there as well. Um, and that just—it's a real chance for them just to tell a bit of a, a deeper story around these characters. And much like with the Star Wars universe, they do a really good job at just sort of tying it together and making sure it's—it's it's touching on other key points of of the Marvel stories. I know I've been controversial before when I've talked about Bill Pullman unfavorably. Owen Wilson for me is a, a guy that I just—I've watched him in a few comedies and I, I'm fine with that. But anything else. I don't think I can handle him. How's how? Because he's right up there as one of the major cast members. How is that going? Is he is he good? He's good. It's a bit of a different role for him. Um, I'm I quite like Owen Wilson. And when you did Oh Well before, was that in reference to the um, to the meme or the Owen Wilson thing, or no, just the an Oh Well? And I just saw a few other. Like I saw Richard E. Grant, and I was just like, oh, right, right, there's right. a really great caster. Because there's, like, there's a whole meme around, oh, well, from Owen Wilson. And oh. so I thought you were, like, <laughs> bringing that in. Anyway, anyway, I, I digress. Um, no, like, this is a bit of a, a different role where he's um, he's not sort of the full joker or full sort of character that he, he normally is. Um, he still sort of brings a little bit of that uh, kind of sarcasm and, and wit to the role. And it's, it's a little bit different for him as well. But, yeah, so far, really good. Awesome. Great stuff. All right, shall we? Uh, so we've watched quite a few things uh, together this week. Shall we start breaking into a few of those shows? Sure. Where do you want to start, Dan? Let's start with uh, Star Wars: The Bad Batch. Okay, so we are now at season one, episode seven, the episode "Battle Scars." As they traverse a decommissioned medical facility, the batch encounter an unexpected threat. This episode is trending as the most positive reviewed since 
the the first episode of all seven, eight point seven out of ten. It's it seems to have gone down really well with the fans. Uh, what are you thinking, Dan? Yeah, no, I thought this was a, a pretty good episode. It was um, great to see uh, an old favourite from uh, the Clone Wars, Captain Rex, and particularly, I think one of the things I really enjoyed about this episode is you know we've kind of been building up slowly to these uh, the chips um, and the chip implants being a real sort of you know problem and they're gonna sort of you know um execute order 66 i'm waiting for you to sort of drop the voice ball um you know really quickly and i think what i quite liked about it is they had the chips activate and they removed the chips all in the same episode and they've got them out of everyone's head and we got to see Ricky go a little bit wild um but it's all kind of contained and we got captain rex and it was just kind of a a nicely packaged episode and I think it even just sort of speaks even further um you know I think they're gonna have to do the same thing oh god what's his name the sniper I always forget his name crosshair crosshair I was gonna I was gonna call him scopes (laughs) (laughs) just making it up on the fly scopes scopes that's uh, good um i i think you know they're obviously working towards you know connecting with the wider resistance there's some really good chances to bring in other characters so yeah i think this was a good episode and i think this would have actually been an interesting kind of drop point i think if they had dropped sort of you know up to episode seven all in one go because you would have been able to really sort of smash out that storyline and probably feel quite kind of fulfilled with mm. how it's played out yeah, I really agree with you on that. And I'm a big fan of weekly drops, as you know, so that's a big call. You're right about a lot of things. Firstly, Wrecker, when the ship turns, him unhinged is is like it's unstoppable. Like he's like the Hulk. That was incredible, uh, watching him go a little bit a little bit cray cray, as they say. Um on the subject of crosshair, um and you sort of saying about You mean scopes. Sorry, scopes, my mistake. Um, um on the, yeah, I've given you kudos about this theory with the chips. Not only were you right, but it's come true and it's come to fruition quite quickly. As you say, it's come out in one episode. My my 11-year-old son, who watches it, as you know, he's predicted that this season or series will end with Crosshair, aka Scopes, having his chip removed. And I really like that theory. And I think it could be, if that pans out, that could be really interesting as how we the audience react to that because you know crosshair has already become a character that we're starting to dislike because you know he's gone bad and he's got a bad attitude it's not his fault it's the chip but we don't trust him and so you know imagine if i don't know in three seasons time he gets he he, he comes back could that could be a really interesting conversation and i mean anakin went you know after 20 years of vader he came back and we were okay with it so surely we'll be okay with him coming back but who knows i thought it was an interesting theory i liked it yeah, I think it's it's a real possibility, and I think I would. I think by the end of the season, it's a real good shout that it could actually happen by then. Because I think what they're doing with this is, I think they're they're moving a bit quicker, and you know, I feel like we give well, I I particularly give um, Star Wars a bit of a hard time about what are they doing with this story, who are they targeting, that blah blah blah, do better, and actually they know they know what they're doing, and this is sort of a you know a good summary, right? Like. You know, they're kind of like building up these characters. They're letting us get to know them, letting us sort of understand their their personalities and their different flaws. And I think they're going to probably start, you know, really dropping some big bombshells on us pretty soon, I imagine. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I I think, um, and I think it could even be by the next episode because we had another cool ending 
with the what were they like the pirate troopers or whatever that the 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 scavenger troopers whatever they were called have reported them through to the empire um which is always good news because we haven't seen them for a few episodes so we could have a few things going on there i agree with you as well when you were talking about when you called it a familiar face of captain rex i thought that was really interesting how you said that because you're right it is it's a but it's a character of course that we only know through animation through clone wars and then of course when he was older in rebels and here he is showing up in the bad batch and it it's like he is an old school character um and that helps this show feel more canon but but he's he's from animation himself, and, and but he already carries that weight because of his story through those shows and how popular he's been with the um, with those audiences. But once again, anyone coming into this for the first time watching this series, if they're watching this episode, they've got no idea why this character is so important and why everyone respects him. So it's quite interesting. It's interesting, right? Because I think that. Um Captain Rex is so loved, particularly by a younger generation, and there's so many toys uh, based around Captain Rex. It would be interesting to kind of you know, have that discussion with a, a Star Wars fan, like an adult Star Wars fan who's never dabbled in anything animated, like you say, and just to see whether like what their sort of awareness is, because there's such a light mention of um, Rex and Cody, and you know, there's no mention of uh, Wolf in the movies. So yeah, no, look, it's a it's a good call. Mm. But a real good, uh, real good episode. Really enjoyable. I really liked how, and I don't know if you noticed in the credits, they always put D. Bradley Baker as the Bad Batch, so just covering the fact that he's he's voicing all, all of those characters. But then in the, uh, what do you call it, like the co-starring, he has his name mentioned again um, as Captain Rex, and I just thought that was really really cool how they how they called that. Also, really cool to see a Rathar. Um, uh, from the Force Awakens, you know those big creatures with the tentacles. How that nearly took mm-hmm. out Rekka. That was a nice little. I love it when they chuck in things like that. It was really good. No, real good episode. Uh, do you know where else you might find one of those um, creatures, Paul? I'm already triggered. Uh, is it going to be in one of the video games? It's in a movie. Wow! It wasn't the Force Awakens. It was in A New Hope inside the um, garbage trash compactor. Um, you know how sort of the tentacle pops up? Yeah, and yeah. And apparently it's one of those. Get out of here. I want I want evidence, Dan. I want evidence. I'll get my people onto it. I appreciate that. All right, so yeah, another great episode. So um, yeah, we're kind of racing through the season. I think so next week we'll be at the, the halfway point. Shall we bustle on over to the final episode of Fear the Walking Dead for this season? Indeed, yeah. Season 6, episode 16, The Beginning. Everyone desperately scrambles to live out the coming destruction on their own terms. Um, this one, can I just kick us off by saying once again... Uh, fair play to the riders. I just like we talked about last week, I didn't expect them to launch the missile and they launched it this week. As you, as you hinted at last week, there was always the chance that maybe the, they would be able to abort the missile or the warhead may not detonate, but they didn't get in that path. The bomb turned out to be the real deal. We got a blinding white flash. We got a big mushroom cloud and we can see widespread irrefutable annihilation I was. I thought that was great. I just thought it's going to make for some interesting, potentially expensive filming sets and landscapes for season seven. But they've they've 
they've they've used this event to take this series not in a different direction but just to give it a completely different landscape with a whole new set of rules and i i love that yeah i thought this was you know and look i was i was there last week saying those bombs aren't going off there's going to be some like you know they'll be duds or something yeah. but no full shout full shout to uh the cast the crew the writers i think this was one of my favorite end of scene end of season uh, Walking Dead experiences in a long time mm. and I think what I kind of enjoyed about it is they kind of wrapped up a storyline it was freaking intense I don't know where they're going to go next and yet they wrapped up quite a few storylines and they gave a lot of the cast a bit of screen time and you know there, there's some there's definitely a few sort of flaws and, and plot holes I guess in some of the things that happened but overall I thought this was a, a really great episode and I absolutely love the way that Dakota died <laughs> I think she's had the best death in the whole of The Walking Dead she is flame grilled Dakota and at least hey can I because you know how much I've hated on Dakota after taking out John and, and turning on Morgan and all at least she took out Teddy before she went and gave us that satisfaction it was interesting hey like with um well I guess you know so many things happened in this episode from that the very sort of early scene with the the woman who breaks her leg in a horrific way oh my goodness and then ends up kind of still walking on and I was like there's no way there's not that bones poking out of the leg and then I couldn't watch you know obviously Get, gets her baby to safety and then you know i think the the constant message of morgan being like you know finish or like end this the way you want to end it or do it on your terms or i can't remember what his exact words were but it was kind of quite a intense thing to kind of like think about and say like you're already in this horrible world where these walkers kind of roaming it ready to eat you at every turn you've got all these like bad humans and it's like end it the way you want to end it what does that even look like in that world and it was interesting how everyone just kind of went off and did their own things. I actually really enjoyed the Strand story mm. um, about how he sort of like played himself off as Morgan, but then he, he quickly resolved that situation. Um, it was interesting even the, I guess, Dwight and Sherry sort of story. I am, I'm unsure about how protected they are in that bunker with the old rickety old wooden door. It, yeah. If that's if that's if you're uncertain about that, what I'm more uncertain about is uh, how diving under the truck uh, is was going to protect uh, Morgan and, and Grace. I, I really didn't quite see how that was going to provide them any real protection. But um, hey, look, we we let those things go. I'm like you with Strand. I quite liked I quite liked Strand's honesty once he'd realized he'd survived about the fact, no, I'm actually, I'm not Morgan, I'm Strand. And you'd like to think he would have given his, his, his honest truth at the moment he thought he was about to be blown to pieces, but that would almost have been disappointing if he'd done that because Strand is an absolute snake. So he, he played that perfectly in that respect. I mean, he's a, he's a hateable character now. I think the, um, the only thing I really was missing for me was I would have loved to get some Alicia closure as well. It was a shame that we didn't get any, any scenes with her in it for the final episode. I, I don't know who she's annoyed on The Walking Dead, but I feel like she's just not getting the screen time that everyone else gets. It's, it's crazy. And we didn't need much because we just needed like 60 seconds just to confirm that she was still where we presume that she is. Because she is, as I said a couple of podcasts ago, she is still the main 
first name up after after Lenny James and most credited actress and actor on this show for all time. So I think you're right. Either she's got other things going on with other, you know, other TV shows or movies or whatever, or there's 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 something because of course we've seen a lot of the old cast really transition out. We've got very few of that original cast with uh, both her and Daniel. So um, I uh, the, the other thing that you touched on, Dwight and Sherry. When you when Morgan was saying, "Oh, you know, end it your way," I felt that they were the closest to to doing what I think I might have wanted to have done if I had thought I was genuinely done with. Um, I think that missile situation really helped bring them back together again. I also really liked the way they dealt with that guy. No more messing around. You know, this is an apocalypse. If it's not bad enough, we got zombies and there's now a nuclear missile in the sky. So if you're going to try and prevent me from getting to safety, that's it. You get a bullet. This is not a time for talking. <laughs> I did have to laugh to myself when Sherry was having a big sort of um, meltdown at Dwight on the on the porch and was, I you know I should have said I love you sooner. I should have done this. I've wasted all this time. It was like, Sherry, now is not the time. Like you've been a nightmare from the moment we found you. Come on! But I, I think they they moved through that pretty quickly, which was was good and it actually made me appreciate sherry a little bit more and you know as as two characters they have been through like a hell of a lot together yeah. across both the walking dead universes when they um when they got those beers and they celebrated with those beers it made me think there's a number of things in this world that i don't think i would survive but one thing that i think you and i would both struggle with is the expiry date on the bottom of those beers because here we are what 12 years in after the event and they're going to be well past their best before date what do those beers even taste like at this point? They'll be trash, Paul. I wouldn't. I I, I thought the same thing. It feels <laughs> like that really bother me. Eh? It's like I bet that beer's disgusting. Like if you've had a beer in your fridge for a year, then it's you know that that's garbage. So who who knows? Who yeah. knows? But I think it's going to be really interesting in the show how they deal with this fallout. Like so, you know, I feel like you know you and I have probably seen enough. Um, nuclear war submarine type movies when you know if they fire they fire a missile and they fired multiple warheads that we know that the wind is going to carry that radiation pretty far yeah. and there's going to be a, a a pretty big wipeout so I imagine several of the of the the main crew are probably going to get some sort of form of radiation poisoning or you know come to an early demise in some way and not to mention it's actually going to decimate the entire land so. I actually wonder whether is this actually going to be a plot point for we need to go back to um, Hilltop or Alexandria or wherever it may be because you're not going to let's rebuild in, in Texas like that's it you've got to move on so yeah so it is a really interesting point um, and I'm I think you know the the whole helicopter situation you know when Ali called through and it was the helicopter that was another big talking point and you know how is when we see season seven kick off, what we've seen in the world beyond, what we know about where Rick Grimes has been taken with the helicopter people, I know they've got a better name than that, but that's all I can think of at this point. How those things come together, I um, I but can scopes I, and the helicopter scopes, people. scopes and helicopter people. I really appreciated though, despite the urgency of the nuclear missile falling, um, there was there was still time before boarding the helicopter. Um, that wasn't really that that clear of the blast. There was still time to complete, quite neatly, I might add, the graffiti on the ground to say, you know, this is not the end. And also, you know, even have time to write some of it on the back of our old mate John Connor. I mean, 
who's wasting this time when there's a nuclear missile about to hit? Uh, is it that? <coughs> that's poor writing. That is that, Paul. Um, I was surprised, like, because uh, I'm with you. There would have been no time to do that. Not to mention, by the time he actually got to the chopper, um, it was already pretty full. And it made me think, is there room for you in here? Like, And if that blast is going off, apart from that helicopter pilot not being able to talk um, and having to use the, use the walkie-talkie, like, they would have wanted to get out of there pretty fast. And I... I wonder if what's going to happen with that helicopter because I guess one path would be to go back to the the Commonwealth or whatever they're going to. But I imagine this is probably just a off the grid mission to pick up these folks, get them out of danger, drop them off, and then bounce on out and never never discuss this ever again type situation. Yeah, no, you're right. I'm I have a lot of questions. I'm very fascinated to see where this goes. Um, the helicopter people, by the way, if you don't want to call them that, you can call them by their formal name, the Civil Republic Military. So um, we've got a bit of closure on that as well. But uh, I'm with you, Dan. It's one of my most satisfying ends to uh, a Walking Dead uh, season for, for, for some time. And uh, yeah, I'm wondering what we're going to get next before season seven. Are we going to get our second season of Will Beyond? Uh, when is the final season of The Walking Dead? Coming, I'm not sure what's next up because normally in a pre-COVID world we were rotating between The Walking Dead and Fear, but of course we haven't got The Walking Dead ready to go yet, so I don't know what's next. My understanding, and this is purely unverified in a complete half measures way, is that we're going to go straight into The Walking Dead in August. That will sort of start around then, and then I would imagine there'll be some type of mid-season break where we'll then go into World Beyond, and then we'll finish off our with the next next half of the season next year. But there could be the next season of Fear before we get the final season, just in case they kind of bring anything together. But it also makes me wonder um, how many more seasons of Fear have we got as well? Is it maybe another one or two seasons maybe? Mm, yeah, very interesting because for me this season's if – if we go back to The Walking Dead, so the, the Negan – in a, you know, when they're all sitting in a semicircle, that's the end of season six. And so that is where we're at now. We've just ended season six of Fear. So we're at the same point. And I, I maintain that that episode of television is the greatest cliffhanger of all, of all time. And, and I will, as I think you have said several times, say that since that moment, that show has wobbled, declined. It's, it's, it's maybe picked up a bit here and there, but, um, Whereas Fear, I've said five seasons five and six, and the elements of season four has been really strong. And I, if it continues in that direction, I'm happy to see it go for ten seasons. You know, I honestly am, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I think it easily could, especially if they maintain the level of writing that they're doing at the moment, and if they they don't necessarily worry about connecting it back up to the the wider group of survivors, which they completely could do. Like it could remain its own complete own entity. Mm. One thing's for sure. I, I do want some. I do want some crossover with either the, the Walking Dead or or World Beyond. I, just, I I feel like bringing these these stories together is all going to help when we do get to this trilogy, this trilogy, Dan of Rick Grime movies. Indeed, indeed. Um, I don't. I don't <laughs> I don't have the energy to discuss that. Um, but let, let's hope that they, they do something great with it. Um, but yeah, no, look, a great way to end the season. I think 
this was a, a you know as we've been saying for a long time this season started really strong um had a great middle and then they introduced a whole new bad guy and kind of reached a conclusion um mm. and you know really probably about six episodes which was was pretty cool yeah exactly right very good all right, so the next show that we've watched together is episode nine of The Handmaid's Tale, titled Progress. Yeah, so June and Luke work together to save Hannah. Serena and Fred greet unexpected visitors from Gilead, and Janine tries to assist good old Aunt Lydia when a handmaid in training goes on a hunger strike. Dan, I have a lot of questions. You've always been good with answers, but before I get to those questions, over to you. So I thought another really good episode of uh, The Handmaid's Tale. Um, you know, we're a little bit out of sync on the podcast because you're probably going to be listening to this episode and the final episode would have already been out, but you'll just have to catch up next week. Um, we'll definitely be getting to it. So there's a lot of things in this episode, I think, to talk about. So I really enjoyed, I guess, getting to see Janine as her kind of own character mm out from the the shadow of June, I guess, and, you know, Janine actually surviving in this world and doing what's necessary and helping uh, the other young girl, um, which her name is, I forget, who, who we saw at the early part of the season. I had to sort of remind myself that. So she was the um, – she, she took the handmaids in. Oh, Miss Keys. Miss Keys, yeah. And, you know, it was really interesting to see sort of her, her coach her and her sort of like, look, it's not worth it. They're going to, they're not going to kill you. They're going to actually just continue to hurt you until you basically submit. Um, it was great to see a bit more of Aunt Lydia. Um, as we all know, she's the, she's the character that everyone kind of loves to hate, but always is a, a bit of a presence on screen. Um, I think we've got lots to talk about with June. Um, lots to talk about with June and Nick. Yeah, we do. And I'll tell you my biggest question, actually. Right. I've got two major questions. <clears throat> One, I thought tensions were so high between Gilead and Canada, and that's why it was so hard for June to get out. Mm. But you've got people from Gilead just popping over, bringing presents, visiting people. You've got Nick just popping over, seeing June. June wearing a red coat. I wouldn't think June even wants to wear red again <laughs> to go and meet Nick. So there's some real there's some real border questions I've got. And then my second question, I don't think I understand uh, Commander Lawrence. And the reason I say that is I feel like we've been on a real weird journey with this character where he was a bit of a dick and then he was actually helping the handmaids and then he – um, was you know he's been reading bedtime stories. He's smuggling girls out. He's turning the blind eye to June. Now he's gone back to being a sort of traditional Gilead type person. And whether he's doing it for his own survival, I guess could be a could be one answer. And now he's talking about like trading kids back and forth. Like I just like is this actually meant to be this? Like a, like this isn't the Lawrence that we've kind of like you know gone on this journey with. But I think you know this was. I'll hand I'll hand over the talking stick to you for a bit, Paul. What do you think? It's interesting because the question you asked, the first question, is the first question I had for you: which, How are these Gilead commanders and their wives visiting 
Um, how are they themselves not getting arrested? How is it that they seem to be traveling business class and almost sort of, you know, coming, coming through more easily than I might if I was to visit LA and get treated like some sort of terrorist? It's, it's very interesting. The, the Joseph Lawrence question, um, also interesting because that was, that was actually a question when Diana and I were watching it. Diana was like the same as you, like, what is his deal? And, I honestly don't know. My answer at the time was, do you know what? I think he was he was one of the architects of Gilead. I think I recall that from the previous season that he was one of the original sort of right at the start, one of the sort of the ones that sort of set it all up. So I think his hat is in the principle of how that this this system might work and how the, the, the council was set up, how that operates and the, the division of, you know, uh, men and women and, and those things. But where he was where he was not on board with it was undertaking some of those things himself as a commander. So we, you know, we, we saw how he treated June when, when she was his handmaid and, you know, basically was within the context of that world of Gilead was allowing her to live her life pretty reasonably. Um, and so that was her, how he seems quite good, but it seems like he got a little scared maybe. Um, and now that he's back in power, he's, he's maybe just going back to some of those, those traditional roots and maybe we're going to see a bit of a, a change because often we see a character go from bad to good and we don't always see a character go go the full way back and we may be seeing that i've really enjoyed his character his well bradley whitford i just i i never watched all of the west wing i only watched like a couple of seasons but i always loved him in that and i really like him as an actor i find him really uh, really easy to watch and so I'm really curious as to where Commander Lawrence's story is going because Commander Waterford's story that's that's the other thing I have questions about um, is uh, is a very different one yeah I thought it was um, so r- some really interesting stuff with the the Waterfords uh, in this episode Particularly, you might note, Paul, how Serena referenced if she goes back, she could be turned into a handmaid. Mm. Who said that? Who called that? Who called that? Some some, some fool on this podcast. Mm. Um, I was like, I would love that story. I would love to see her, you know, sort of being put in that situation, which actually sounds a bit terrible now I say it out loud. But I, I just think, you know, she's been such a, a villain of this TV show it would be great for some retribution, but I think what's <laughs> you know that's too far, too far. Um, I think what was interesting about um, I guess Fred Waterford is that you know he's really you know obviously disappointed that Gilead hasn't really done anything to support him. They haven't sort of tried to negotiate for his release. They haven't they haven't done anything. And he's really now gone into full survival mode. And the fact that he's sort of wanting to turn on Gilead, which I imagine is probably going to be a double cross of some of some type, is is fascinating because He's obviously like one of the the real sort of true believers of Gilead, and he's he's kind of held that position from day one in this TV show. He's terrifying, isn't he? He's I sometimes forget how good he is, uh, you know, as a not not yeah, just the the character, but Joseph Fiennes as as the actor. Um, I, you know, when he when he got told, "Sorry, mate, you're on your own, sunshine," by you know his fellow commanders who who popped over with a box of cigars, you know, which was nice. Um, 
I I was not surprised at all to see that he then basically defected. And in fact, just before that defection came about, one of the other questions I was going to put to you is, you know, what chance does he have? Um, and I was going to propose a theory that it will be the protesters that are going to break Waterford out. That was my theory, which of course is now defunct. Um, and so now that it seems that like he's defected, um, I guess my question is, is June going to to actually now go searching for Waterford and actually kill her, kill him herself? And b- before you answer that, can I just say, if we thought Elizabeth Moss was good when she gave it to Serena at the end of the previous episode, what about that verbal attack on the American government dude at the end of this one? I, I think... It's- Hundred percent, like what a fantastic actress, and so terrifying and chilling. Uh, the only thing I found with that is I was like, this anger is directed at the wrong person. But you, mm-hmm. you can un- you can understand why anyone in that situation would direct that to you know you are the face of the government at this point. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to end this season with the the death of a of a main character. And even as you were talking, Paul, it, it sort of got me thinking. You know, if June end up ends up killing Fred. I can imagine Gilead's hundred percent going to want Serena's baby back in, uh, back in Gilead, and I wouldn't be surprised to see some sort of like Gilead Black Ops operation of that happening. Mm. Um, I wouldn't if if June is responsible for killing Fred. I think that you know she could get deported back to Gilead because. You know, she's there as a refugee, right? This is probably too much of a of a stretch <laughs> of a of a storyline. Um, but you know, I think just that she's so wild and she's got so much fury. But I think either way, um, we're definitely, I think, set up for June trying to get Hannah back. Mm. And I think she's she's gonna need Nick's help to do that. And it was really interesting, I think, as well, just sort of seeing her and Nick reconnect and just kind of almost how like giddy she was to see him and like that was crazy. Yeah. I mean, and the fact that Luke was the one who suggested to June as painful and as, as, as hard as it must've been for him that she, you know, that she go, that she go see Nick, that can't have been easy for him. And, you know, given what happened when Nick, you know, when he crossed the border to visit June, I would certainly be interested to hear from any of our listeners watching uh, the show who are listening to this podcast what they made of that particular scene because I think <laughs> I think I I mean I just feel sorry for for Luke I mean that's just it's just awful um, but the the whole world has changed for June and none of us can comprehend what she's been through to have led to that point. And I think that's the thing. Like Luke's obviously he hit his wedding ring and. You know, I'm not surprised that he's married. Like, that's the Gilead way. Like, he would have been, as a commander, he would have had to be married off uh, pretty quickly. Mm. And um, yeah, obviously, June is not going to like that at all. But, yeah, it's it's it, it was fascinating just the whole way that that sort of story arc played out. I never commented, sorry, on your one of your initial points about Janine as well, because you're so right. The, it was so good to see her, as you said, out of the shadow of June. There are so many layers with with Janine and her place in all of this. Kind of reminds me, actually, of how I feel about Jimmy in Yellowstone. 
kind of a that lovable guy jimmy and you just feel sorry for him and and here with janine it's kind of the same and i it's kind of like i know she's not the main story here but i'm absolutely invested in it uh in her story and i never quite know what to expect from her because she's such a loose cannon and i love that Janine is the assistant regional manager, and I I really enjoy her storyline. And I think, you know, I think she's one of those characters that was kind of a little bit frustrating in the early seasons, but I've really grown to just sort of appreciate her for who she is. And I think now that we've seen a bit more of her backstory, again, it just makes you sort of care for her even even more. Yeah, and a quick shout out, if I may, to Aunt Lydia, who was great in this episode, much more in control of herself and the situation, and. <laughs> Without sounding weird, I love it when Lydia is happy and calm because she's way more terrifying than when she's angry. When she's in that mo- when she's in that mood and that mode, that's when she's truly scary. And I really, I really enjoyed it. Dan, I can't believe we are at the season finale this week, and I did note that the other seasons were like thirteen episodes each. And I don't know if it's COVID or what, but even so, these ten episodes have flown by. Yeah, and I think we, we had to wait quite a while for this season as well. So hopefully we're kind of getting back to normal and we can, you know, jump straight into another season uh, in the not too distant future. Well, I guess it'll, it'll probably be next year, but still it's it's a hard wait, isn't it? Because I feel like with 10 episodes, I was picking on a show that you really love, mm. like you're kind of just getting into it and you've got to, you know, you've got to put the brakes on again. But I think – this, this show's gone. This has been a great season. I think it, you know, it started off a little bit slow. Um, not necessarily in a bad way, just started off a little bit slow and it's now delivering all of the things that, that I personally wanted out of it. Mm. And I can't wait to see where it goes next. 100%. So should we go on to a final thing that we've watched together other than our movie of the week, Dan? Let's do it. So um, Paul and I discovered a, a great little TV show last year, I believe, called Breeders, um, which stars Martin Freeman, uh, Chris Addison, Simon Blackwell, and uh, Daisy Haggard. And this is one of those shows, if, if you're an early listener to the Half Mishes podcast, we we raved about the show. It's sort of a, it's a bit of a dark comedy about, I guess, what it's like in today's day um, with, with kids being a working parents and just kind of having to hold all that together. You've got your parents who kind of live in, kind of live in the, you know, yesterday's world and, and the, the highs and lows of that experience. And so for season one, you know, this show really kicked off with a hiss and a roar and I thought it was going to be, a, you know, a fantastic comedy and it was, but it also was a, a very serious and very um, dark show at the same time, but it always kind of did a good job to kind of maintain the, the humour. Um, and, and make it feel so relevant. And so season two has come out, and it's been coming out here in New Zealand episode by episode. So Paul and I have been sort of watching week by week and saving it up to discuss season two of Breeders with you. Yeah, so so yeah, so, so this, like we've talked about recently, um, much like Afterlife, as you've just touched on there, it's a, it's a comedy show that goes into a really dark place, uh, at the same time as really making you laugh and whereas afterlife is like sad and grief and lost breeders for me is even harder to watch when it goes dark because it's actually it's you're watching a family fall apart and i just i can't cope with martin freeman acting the way he does sometimes because i like him so much 
and he's always such a likable person in everything he does that when I see him in this and that's just really exceptional writing and and it's so Chris Addison and Simon Blackwell they're actually they're the creators of this um uh who they co-created with Madden Freeman and they're just so talented at writing just normal situations everyday things like ordering pizza watching tv show or, or going to a school fundraiser and just making it absolutely hilarious and as you t- you touched on with the parents paul's parents so madam freeman's character paul his parents i don't know about anyone else but it feels so real if anything dan it's too real his parents have been written to absolute perfection they need a spin-off show of their own almost just actually following them around all day going to the supermarket i'd watch it all yeah, no, look, this is a, so this is a fantastic season. Uh, it's only about 10 episodes long, so I, I think whether you've got kids or don't have kids, it, it's a lot of fun to watch because I, I don't know what it is, but I think Martin, so Martin, the deal with Martin Freeman is he basically has a, a bit of an, an anger issue, and he loves his wife and he loves his kids, but he's got a real short fuse, and he, he kind of just loses it all the time. And his kids have kind of got their own um, issues going on, one of his kids is, you know, starting to get a bit of anxiety and it's not helped by um, Martin Freeman's sort of anger issues and it's it's just such a great ride. And then you've got the pe- um, Martin Freeman's parents who are having to move out of their estate home. You've got the other grandparents who are sort of, you know, single and dating and there's just just all the, the quirks and charms that come with that is just such a, a fantastic package of things to watch. It really is. And I just find watching it a very different experience in terms of the as i said the mixture of pain with humor it's such a good combo because i feel like i'm laughing but i can't laugh because oh, i shouldn't be laughing at that but i just find it so funny at the same time i'm so enthralled and the i think actually the ending and this isn't really a spoiler for anyone who wants to watch it but it's probably the greatest example of that okay it is a spoiler who am i kidding so we've got we've got paul set on the couch in the middle of the night because he's sleeping at his parents' house because he's he, he's had to he's had no choice but to move out of his house so that his son can 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 move back in because he can't you know the two of them aren't getting on so he's going through that which would just be the worst thing he's you know it's heartbreaking <laughs> but at the same time in the background you hear the dad <laughs> in the toilet nearby who's unable unable to get the toilet to, to, to flush his poo away and you can just hear him saying bloody hell flush you bastard and it's just it's just man in freeman's face is just the, the the selling point of this whole series for me just his reaction just his deadpan looks as he's trying to come to terms with what he's going through at the same time while he's there and i don't know he must be about late 40s 50 trying to deal with being back at his parents and hearing his dad <laughs> trying to flush the toilet it's, it's just it's so simple but so great I think, too, it just does a, a really great job at, I think, you know, Martin's, Martin Freeman's character, Paul, is kind of, you know, grew up in kind of, you know, in that sort of, I, I guess, in that 70s, 80s sort of mm. era where he, where he would have been young. So he's kind of got some of the, the, the I don't know, the things that his parents would do, like you, like you don't talk back to people, you do what you're told, you, you know, you, you do a good job, you do what you say you're going to do. And at the same time, he's living in this modern world. And he's kind of got some of those tendencies, but he, and he 
can't quite sort of navigate all the different trade-offs and just having kids who, you know, have got their own friends, you, you know, you, you don't want to get a bad reputation with the other parents, um, navigating, you know, how this looks to the school. And it, it's just, it's a really hard show to talk about, mm. apart from the fact that it's it's really well done, it's really thoughtful, you're definitely going to get some laughs out of it. You might even get a tear or two, but it's it's a good watch. It is, and I think... In terms of the comedy, the simple trick I think that um, the the writers here have, have really mastered is they've written the inside voice that people have, and it's not just when you're dealing as a parent with kids. It could be in any situation at work. Or they've 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 taken that inside voice, and they are just getting these characters to actually to say it out loud, and then actually have to deal with the consequences of what they've just had said. And it's um. It's great. It's, it's it's the things you think but never dream of saying. And particularly, you know, Martin Freeman in particular seems to be the one that's, that says it all the time. And uh, as a parent, there are so many situations where I wish I'd seen this show before I had kids because then I'd know that <laughs> the reactions that they're having to some of these situations and what I had, it's actually pretty normal and everyone's thinking these things. And you've got a, an inside voice full of cursing absolutely everything. And I think that's, that's the thing that they've really nailed, isn't it? They've nailed the fact that actually inside the the family home you want to yell at your your kids or whoever to shut the f up and go and do this but it's that's not the reality that's ever sort of portrayed on any other television show mm. about what it's like to be in a, in a family and i think this lifts the rock up and makes you feel uncomfortable and awkward and laugh out loud all at the same time yeah exactly right and uh, i i love this style with with this, you know, this uh, this dynamic of the humour and the awkwardness, and my one request to to Chris Addison and Simon Blackwell would be, whatever season is the final season, however long this goes, as long as they end it on a positive note, it will make the whole journey worthwhile. As long as they, as long as they, please give us that. That's all I ask, because that, that's that's how we need this show to end to make the journey, you know, really feel like we've gone there. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I, and I really do hope we get a few more seasons of this because I, I just love oh, yeah. all the characters. Yeah. As you say, I, I love the parents, I love the kids. They're all just so quirky. It's it's a fun time. Yeah, and Daisy Haggard and Martin Freeman together, uh, they, they've they really got it down now. Like just, just the looks they give each other, uh, just it must be great fun for them to film that. I even enjoy the relationship that the two kids have on the show. Mm. Um, look, it's... Uh, it's just it's so like uh, even sorry Ava and Luke it's it's just so so personable and there's something about it that's got a real charm to it. I wasn't going to mention this, but now that you've brought up the kids, what is going on when you've got this kid with anxiety and all the rest of it? Why hasn't he got his own room? Why has he got this space which is basically under the stairs with a curtain? I mean, I can't cope with that either. I guess I look I. I did wonder that myself, but I I wonder whether they're just like we, wherever they're at in life, they've kind of they've built this house because they sort of touched on that throughout the season, yeah. and it's obvious they've obviously outgrown it, uh, but they probably like you know with the prices house prices, I can't imagine easily getting a where they live, blah 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 probably doesn't just translate, so they're kind of living in this awkward situation. But you would almost think that maybe the son would get the bedroom and the daughter because she's a bit younger might. Mm. I don't know. It's all it's all a bit weird. We're getting into the, the BA we processes are. of it all, Paul. I apologise. It's, it's a tendency of mine. So, yeah, this is a, this is a all the guns um, rating for me. Get amongst it. A really fun watch. Um, you can find it on Neon here in New Zealand. Indeed. 
you can. And something else you can find on Neon Dan is a movie of the week, which we'll get into now. So each week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose a movie to, to watch. We post that movie a week in advance in our Discord channel, which you can find in the notes of the podcast, wherever you're listening to this. And then you can watch along with us and listen to our review. What is our movie of the week this week, Dan? This week, Paul, we watched a movie that came out in 2020 called Relic. And this is a bit of a, a drama, horror, mystery type film. It's basically about a daughter, a mother and a grandmother who are haunted by the a manifestation of dementia that consumes their family home. And I've got to admit, Paul, when I saw this um, request come through for movie of the week and it had sort of the, the horror title to it, I thought, oh, you must be feeling brave after last week's outing watching the conjuring and we're back at it i i do feel proud of myself you know i i gave the conjuring a go last week i really enjoyed it and so i thought to put a horror movie in the mix as movie of the week was pretty impressive but dan i am going to cut to the chase i need i know i ask you a lot of questions on this podcast but i need your help with this one to explain to me wtf was going on (laughs) with the end of this movie. What am I taking away from this movie's ending, for starters? All right. So this is one of those horror movies, which is actually, you know, the more more I thought about it, it's actually less of a horror and more sort of about the the intensity of, I think, dementia and Alzheimer's. And basically what this movie is about is uh, that the grandmother – is ultimately slowly losing her mind to to dementia and what the both the the daughter and the 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 granddaughter are sort of are trying to sort of help her through this as she kind of remembers other things and I think the way that they kind of show the the horror element in this TV show is it's like I guess the the dementia is almost like a the, the blackness and that sort of the, the darkness that's slowly taking over. And this is going to be a real big sort of spoiler if you're a, if you haven't seen the relics, so you might want to sort of use the time codes to, to jump ahead, uh, maybe to the newsroom. Uh, but my take on this movie is basically by the, by the end of the film, the, the daughter is sort of picking away at what's left of the, of them, of the mother's skin, which kind of, you know, brings in that sort of horror element. And, and basically what that showed is she's kind of fully consumed now by the dementia and the Alzheimer's. And when they're all sleeping in the bed together and, you know, the sort of the screen points to the daughter now having some of the blackness, I think that's just sort of showing that, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's, they often um, pass through generations. And unfortunately, the the daughter is also going to have these symptoms mm. and it's probably going to be a bit of a, a repeating pattern. But that's that's kind of what I took from it. Okay, that's that's way more than I I, would, I was not obviously thinking that deeply. I think if I'm honest, and I feel terrible saying this now after you've come out with such a deep, meaningful answer, there is that by the point we got by the time we got to this point, I was just a little bit, I was a bit over it, and that's probably my biggest criticism is that it just it just took too long to get going this movie and what then subsequently annoys me is that actually when it did get going um so i'm thinking i'm thinking particularly around the time um when the when the granddaughter um sam when she's she's crawling around in between the rooms in the houses and each time she turns around the the where she, you know, she's backtracking. It's changed. That was pretty freaky. I thought that was good, but it took a long time to really get moving in this one for me. And then by the time it had, it was almost over. And 
that was a real shame because it just it just ticked along way too slowly this movie wasn't giving me anything there wasn't enough scares maybe i'm being too hard because i just you know i just watched maybe after watching the conjuring which as i've said was possibly one of the scariest movies of all time maybe i'd i'd set my you know standards a bit too high and as you say maybe this is less about the horror and and, and more the the manifestation of dementia but yeah i don't know yeah look i you know i found this movie okay like i don't think it's a movie i'll probably unfortunately watch again but i sort of found something interesting in watching it um i think it was one of those movies where like i'm pretty smooth brain most of the time when it comes to this stuff but like i think they were trying to that they tried quite hard to sort of make the horror element work in it and and i kind of get what they were going for and i think sometimes that stuff really works and it lands but this you know there was a Again, you know, much like the movie that you were talking about before, Infinity Chamber, I think there's a lot in these sorts of movies kind of left to interpretation and, and how how you understand it. I don't think it sort of gave the real sort of classic black and white ending. Mm. Like it was like it was okay. It was probably a, a two guns for me. Yeah, I'm going I'm going a, a one guns on this. And at the same time Oof. at the same time, Dan, I wanna I wanna be honest, Loren. Um, the three lead actresses, of course, were the core of this movie. I thought all three of them were really, really good. I felt like it was well directed. I thought the production was good. The set, all of that looked like it you know, had budget. It gave that impression. It just took too long. The writing wasn't quite there for me. And you've made an interesting comparison to what I said around Infinity Chamber. But what the difference was was that Infinity Chamber was compelling and thought provoking the whole way. For me, I didn't get that for at least the first 45 minutes of this 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 movie but hey yeah no yeah no look i, I think that's fair i think it's um like, uh, yeah it, it, it was something different i mm. think for me um it's yeah just a, a, a bit of a i guess it's not really too much more to say about it apart from it was a bit different a bit weird i think you're right it did take a while to get going i had to really think really hard about what it all kind of meant um, I'm not even sure whether I've got that right, but yeah, look, they can't, they can't all be blockbusters, PK. That's right, DW. All right. Should we move on? Should we move on over to the news desk? Mm. All right. So a little bit of news today. So it looks like Disney plus is going to move all of its original content from dropping on Fridays to Wednesdays so Loki drops on a Wednesday and they've had such great ratings from it according to uh, various media outlets that is going to be the new day that new content drops so um, new Mandalorian new um, Marvel TV shows expect them on a Wednesday which I think is a is an interesting model it is and what is is that Wednesday in the states and so Thursday for us or yeah basically okay yeah. okay yeah. very interesting yeah. Yeah, so I guess that's how it works. Um, what else have we got here? So I know you're a fan, Paul, of the atypical TV show Absolutely. on Netflix. Mm. And so they are dropping the fourth and final season of that uh, on the 9th of July, which is pretty good. Beautiful. Great show. I always enjoy when they've decided to end a TV show, but they give it its final season just to kind of do what they need to do. I think that's the that's the way to way to do business. It's time we went back and did that and gave that same service to shows like The Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles, to Caprica, to Enterprise. We've been there. We've talked about it before, but I'm with you, Dan. I love how they're doing that in this day and age. 
Indeed, indeed. Uh, we've got the first uh, teaser trailer for The Witcher Season 2. So if you are a Witcher fan, you might want to make sure you jump on to YouTube or Twitter or wherever you get your um, streaming content and have a look at that. It looks like you know the first teaser trailer is um, quite focused on Suri. Um, and so, yeah, looking forward to seeing The Witcher Season 2. There's no official date uh, for when that season is coming out, but it is due to come out this year. There was a sort of delay quite a bit with various sort of COVID activities. Um, JJ Abrams and Showtime are teaming up to make a docuseries about UFOs. So I think it's going to be a four-part docuseries, and it's going to examine the, the history and phenom all around UFOs, which should be quite interesting. I imagine JJ will bring some great filming techniques and things to this little uh docu-series hopefully get hold of some various bits of footage it should be a, a fun little time mm. uh and we've also had a, a trailer for the upcoming uh, masters of the universe which looks fantastic and one final bit of news netflix um, has confirmed that castlevania a show that i was talking about last week is going to continue with a new show which is pretty exciting no dates or anything um announced yet but it looks like this is going to focus on a bit of a different storyline set in 1792, um, set in France with the backdrop of the French Revolution. Amazing. That's me. I really, I was really curious about the J.J. Abrams because, I mean, he's just great. You put him in UFOs together and it's a documentary. I think there's a lot of interest there. It could be really good. That sounds quite exciting. Um, Dan, you, I only had a couple of things coming in, but one of them, you've already done and I, I had this I was going to say to you Dan do these words mean anything to you and I was going to say fabulous secrets sorry fab, fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic sword and said by the power, the power of Grayskull <laughs> honestly what a great trailer that was from Kevin Smith and a great uh, soundtrack which I found absolutely amazing because you'd said you'd sent me something the other day which said any movie trailer will be better with this song and it was that classic 80s song that they played on the Mass of the Universe trailer which I can only presume won't be part of the series but it was just there for the trailer I I can't wait to see some modern day Masters of the Universe it some point a few years ago I did a bit of a, a YouTube deep dive and went in to find some old episodes of Masters of the Universe and they are terrible Paul I was a, a very big fan growing up and if you've ever watched uh, the toys that made us that documentary series on Netflix and actually it's really interesting with Masters of the Universe because they basically they had a toy line and they needed to make a TV show to promote the toy line. And so the, the actual TV show is pure garbage. Um, but they, it was, all it was there for was to promote the promote the toys. And, you know, it worked on five-year-old Daniel. Big fan. Big fan. Oh, I think it worked on a number of us. I mean, I really loved it too. The only thing even, that even I picked up on, just to go as a real tangent here, as a kid, was how they ended each episode with a moral message that was so, you know, hit you on top of the head with the message. It was so obvious and so blunt that it just didn't work at all. But um, I'm really terrified to hear that, that, that it wasn't good to rewatch it because I just remember it being great. And I remember Skeletor being absolutely terrifying and Man at Arms was the hero and oh, it was great. Oh, look, I'm sure in our younger days when we knew no better, it would have been fantastic, but it just didn't translate into today's day and age. And 
Uh, another TV show that had the the good message at the end was G.I. Joe, and they'd often talk about, you know, like putting rubbish in the bin or, you know, not doing stupid kid things. But no, this this should be a, a lot of fun to watch. It's bringing back one other memory I need to share with you, Paul, and the listeners. Uh, a friend of mine, when I was young, uh, he was actually from England, and his parents got divorced. And one year for his birthday, he got given Castle Grayskull. And I remember saying to my mum and dad, I want Castle Grayskull. And they're like, it's because Robert's parents got divorced. Do you want us to get divorced? Yes, I want Castle Grayskull. Never happened. <laughs> Come on, Robert. There's, there's so many great He-Man stories I've heard from you. Like we haven't got time for it now, but the other one when you when you went you took it to school and the pieces got lost. There's so much, so much emotion. Just the axe, Paul. Just, just, oh, the, just the axe. The battle axe. You, you're, you're bringing up the emotion. Yeah. Of, yeah. Anyway, that's a story for another day. Um, what else? The last two things I have for news this week. Um, so this week the internet was almost broken. Uh, when the teaser trailer for season two of Star Trek Picard dropped and fans went absolutely crazy over the, well, we, we'd seen it from the first teaser, but this time we actually saw him in person, uh, John Delancey returning as Q and uttering the words Mon Capitan to Jean-Luc Picard, which we haven't heard uh, since 1993. So a long wait for that. And it looks really quite a, uh, an interesting story story so um so yeah and the other thing uh, we have a poster and a release date of 29 july for transformers war for cybertron kingdom uh the third and final part of the trilogy um it looks pretty cool um this this date and poster was announced by uh the producer vincent talenti which takes us nicely into our mailbag, Dan. So I'll go straight there uh, because, uh, yeah, Vincent Talenti from Transformers uh, commented on Instagram this week his appreciation of Half Measures Podcast for saying that this was the best Transformers series since G1. And he added that we were too kind. So I thought it was pretty nice. We've always had a lot of cast and crew from Transformers interact with us, which is which is great. Um, what else have I got here? So, yeah, so the, the official breaking bad podcast inside the gillyverse they liked our review of season three of medical saw that we posted the week before they shared that actually on both twitter and instagram which was pretty cool and also that review of ours we even had gordon smith the head writer at amc who i've talked about a few times on the pod he tweeted us uh, saying that our comments were very kind so that was that was pretty cool bit of a fanboy moment i guess for me um for you, Dan, Cam Critic, uh, who review movies in Washington, D.C., they listened to our podcast and they enjoyed your review of Corella, saying uh, it was a great review and that they loved the insight. Uh, Neon, uh, who we obviously watch a lot of stuff on, they shared our review of Mayor of Easttown, uh, which was great. Uh, the editor of Mayor of Easttown, Amy Duddleton, uh, who you know, did a great job with the rest of the guys on that production crew. She shared our review. And furthermore, Dan, she started following us on Twitter, which was pretty cool. And we also got a like from one of the cast of Mayor of Easton, uh, and that was Mackenzie Lansing, who played quite brilliantly the totally unlikable character of Brianna. And that so that was the... The, the, the bully. Yeah, the bully, the girlfriend of Aaron's ex-boyfriend. So she played that part really well. So but she liked that. That was great. Um... Ryan from San Fran responded to our handmade 
tail post with lock them up. Uh, <laughs> that was in a direct reference to the Waterfords. Uh, be interesting to think what he thinks about this week's episode and the finale. Um, and finally, yeah, so last week's peak performance was uh, Dustin Hoffman. We had two people come through this week to give us our choices. We had Nikki Morgan, uh, who went with uh, Tootsie. And we had Bab from the Hawks Bay, uh, who gave us a 3-2-1 of Midnight Cowboy, Rain Man, and All the Presence Men. And I have to say, because Bab's written into us a few times whenever she does, her opinions and mine are very closely aligned. I feel like we have very similar taste so so thank you bab that's the mailbag this week dan awesome awesome shall we move on over to our peak performances so much like movie of the week uh paul and i take turns choosing different actors actresses directors producers etc and we talk about what we think are their favorite um movies or uh, movies they might have created so this week we have gone with colin firth yeah, this Dan, this was a great choice, and I had I had quite a long think about this, but I have I have come up with three, so I'll dive straight in. Firstly, I'm going at number three with his portrayal of um, Harry Hart in the in the Kingsman's movies, um, simply because I feel like I mean I love those two movies, probably the first one the most, but the nature of this role for and and how it's filmed. If if you t- if you'd explained that to me and told me how it was going to be and then given me ten or even twenty actors who might have played the part, I would never have picked this to be Colin Firth in that role. And he is just he rocks it. He a hundred percent rocks it, and I love it. So um, so that's my number three. Uh, my number two is 2010's The King's Speech, and. What amazes me is so often I always feel like the Oscars get it wrong and the Academy gets it wrong. But quite recently, the number of times I'm like, yeah, he really did deserve this. This was, he was great. He made that whole film. It's a fascinating film, but he he really made it. And opposite uh, Jeffrey Rush, um, uh, those two just just so good together. So that's that's my number two. But my number one is 1995's Pride and Prejudice, and he he plays such an arrogant um hilarious um seemingly pompous but actually you know when you get to it a very big-hearted mr darcy he he got a bafta i think for this one obviously he was nominated for it it's um i mean obviously this is a story that's been told so many times but i think other than the book this for me always feels like the one that certainly i think i think most people rate the most and i think to be honest i think so much of that is Colin first performance as mr darcy it's probably due a rewatch actually so yeah so kingsman king speech and pride and prejudice for me what about you dan we are very very closely aligned this week paul so uh for my number three i am going to go with his fairly brief role in the movie 1917 and I can't quite determine whether it's just my love of this film um, or his portrayal as General Aaron Moore but uh, just such a such a great uh, actor I, I really enjoyed his performance there number two I actually went with The Kingsman The Secret Service like you really enjoyed both of these movies I enjoyed his role in these immensely I'm looking forward to the the third movie where we get to see a, a bit more of his character um, and that should be a lot of fun and then for my number one I actually went with uh, The King's Speech so we, we were virtually in sync by one movie mm. 
not bad at all. I wondered if either of us would have gone with the Bridget Jones because there is there is a lot of value in his performance in that movie um, opposite Hugh Grant. But um, great choices. I, I nearly picked it. I nearly picked it. I was but close. I, it was. Um, it's been too long since I've seen it, so I. I had to let that one go. But, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures Podcast. It does indeed. Don't forget, you can get in touch with us um, at halfmeasurespodcast.com or on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, Half Measures Pod. And our thanks, as always, uh, this week to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, for supporting this week's episode. Also, a special shout-out to our Patreon producers of the show, Trisha Brady and Samara King. If you too would like to become a patron, then you can find those details in the show notes below. And you could become a producer. Add it to your LinkedIn profile. You know, you'll be able to tell people, I'm a producer on a podcast. People all love it. You know, we're like by all sorts of celebrities. You never know where this will get you. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Too much, too much. I'm overselling it. Until next week, everyone. Adios.